Hello comrades and welcome to season one episode four of Spectre. I'm very delighted to be joined by three very special guests today. Uh, guys, would you like to introduce yourselves? Uh, I'm Margaret uh, from Glasgow Palestine Human Rights Campaign and International Solidarity Movement Scottish Branch. I'm John, <laughs> married to Margaret and in the same groups, have been since 2003, something like that. I am John. Um, I assist in the Palestine Solidarity um, campaign Street Stall, basically, and we've been there for quite a number of years. Originally set up by Margaret and John, um, and I came here a few years later and been there ever since. <laughs> Can he get away? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic, guys. It's great to have you here today. So, just want to get started. Obviously, I think the the correct framework to take is understanding sort of the history of Palestine and its current sort of struggles. Anybody want to come in on that? Johnny, you're probably yeah, it's expert. He's he's he's, a, he's the smart one of the camp. well. There's a there's a long and fascinating history over this this issue. Um, I'd be inclined to call it a conflict, um, but that's, that would be to use a kind of a standard kind of a like, um, mainstream BBC speak, you know. For this issue, it's, it's not essentially a conflict. It's a, a, we should call it what it is, basically. It's a settler colonial occupation as a consequence of um, decades, uh, over 100 years of, of Zionism, basically, which has, um, if you trace the history back, you'll see, you know, back in the 19th century um, through Theodore Herzl and various others, how they agitated for um, Israeli nationalism, essentially, um, and an Israeli state, culminating essentially in 47-48, and uh, what's known um, to the Palestinians infamously as the, as the Nakba, the catastrophe, essentially. And that's the, the, the really defining point whereby, essentially, um, Zionist forces came for a, a terrorist insurrection, basically, against the British, but more particularly, ethnically cleansed over 750,000 Palestinians. So, as I said, there's a long, kind of, a like, fascinating history. And a Zionist people and um, pro-Israel apologists would basically have you believe that this is um, a deep, intractable conflict um, and that there's no it's complex, there's no easy solution. But essentially, the, the essence of it is actually quite simple. You know, and anybody that's kind of familiar with colonialist, imperialist history would understand, basically, the, the basic rudiments of it. Um, so basically what you had was um, Zionist forces came in in 47, 48 and expelled hundreds of thousands of Palestinians. And that, that process has been ongoing until present day, ongoing transfer, ethnic cleansing. So people should really try and sort of get a handle on the, the, the basic history of this. And um, the, the essential book on it, the definitive book is Helen Pape, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine. And it's all there, you know, and it's a fascinating account of um, how they came in, cleansed the villages. They had a specific plan, Ben-Gurion, plan, uh, plan D. To this day, there are uh, villages in historic Palestine that are covered over, trying to disguise what they've done. And um, you've got a, a vast diaspora of Palestinians all over the world who still have legitimate claim to their land and their homes in Palestine under UN Resolution 194. Have I got a legitimate right to return? So that's the ongoing, that's the basic kind of history of it. There's a whole fascinating context, as I say, and you can delve into about, you know, British mendacity, how they suppressed Palestinian uprisings, you know, 36, 39 and, and throughout. But but beyond that, and then subsequently up, up and beyond uh, 47, 48, 
um, when they, they proclaimed, after they proclaimed their so-called um, independence, it's hard to figure out how, you know, you could um, win a war of independence from a people who were indigenous themselves. Beyond that, by 1967, they had invaded the West Banks and beyond, uh, took over Gaza, parts of Syria, the Golan Heights, and uh, that's illegal under international law. Initially, um, there's a resolution 194 where Palestinians have got the legitimate right of return. There's a resolution 242 which uh, orders them basically out of um, uh, occupied West Bank uh, and uh, annexed Jerusalem and, um, and beyond that. Um, so what you have is a situation where there's been ongoing persecution of Pal- Palestinians within the West Bank. So we've all been there, we've all seen what's happened. Margaret will explain that, Margaret and John, where the roads are controlled, the water's controlled, every aspect of life is controlled. Um, You've got 200 um, settlements there, you've got half a million illegal settlers, um, and that includes um, the annexation of Jerusalem itself. You've got an illegal siege of Gaza, um, illegal under international law, despite the fact that they pulled their troops, so-called pulled their troops out of there in 2005, it's still recognised, it's still recognised as an occupying force. And of course, you've got within Israel itself, 20% of the population is uh, Arab Palestinian who are living under an apartheid regime, basically. So this state is, is built, founded on violence, built on violence, and um, continues its violence in every way, you know. And anybody that's watching the news just now can see, you know, how ruthless and brutal that is. And they uh, will probably come on to some of that, you know, the way in which they've, they've murdered um, uh, Palestinians, local uh, Palestinian kids, murdered uh, journalists. Um, it's a regime that's completely out of control. And we'll probably come on to talk about the would-be um, failure of the, the international community, so-called, you know, to do nothing about it. And the whole sort of a geopolitics and dynamics of what's going on there. So all in all, as I say, quite a fascinating history, but one that's got, you know, essentially a score, some basic truths about this is a settler colonial state involved in apartheid and um, uh, it's just not accountable to um, the, the international law. Yeah, excellent point there, John. I think the key word to take from that is apartheid. You know, it's it's quite simply seen. I'm sure many of us have seen videos in social media and whatnot of your travelling journalists being in the occupied Palestine by the Israeli state. And, you know, they're, they're, they're quite boastful of how they treat the Palestinians. They're, they're happy to treat them even below second-class citizens. And that's seen in terms of its legitimacy and law. You know, we, we don't often hear about the new laws that are being passed, but recently, you know, people as part of the state of Israel, they can't marry. They can't be in a relationship with Palestinians. And that's downright shocking. That's quite frankly, a breach of human rights. And like you said, we don't see the international community coming to arms to deal with this. You know, it's all, we always hear the, the phrase of democracy in the Middle East, but there's clearly no democracy or peace in the Middle East as long as Palestine is under siege. So yeah, a very good point there, which certainly brings us very close to the, the ISM. So just wondering if you guys can, can fill us in and sort of what your role is and uh, what you do both within Britain uh, as well as Palestine. It was formed in 2001. Uh, It's a Palestinian-led movement. It's a two-day training period to see if you fit in with them. It's a peaceful, non-violent organisation. But to be honest, it's quite effective. You know, they do really good work. The age range is from maybe 17. The oldest lady I know was 88. 88-year-old, she was Jewish, a lovely woman, Hedy. Hedy Epstein was a Holocaust survivor who uh, 
fought for Palestinian rights uh, all through her life. Unfortunately, she, she passed away a few years back there. ISM, as Margaret said, Palestinian-led, and what it does, it, it tries to document what's happening over in the West Bank, watch what's happening to Palestinians, try to get them through checkpoints, um, try to get them out of the occupied houses, all sorts of stuff like that. Go to demonstrations. They're, kinda, um, they're hated by the Israelis, to be honest. You know, they're a worldwide movement. As Margaret said, started in 2001. And it's grown and grown and grown. A lot of Israelis are in it as well as um, yeah. Palestinians. It's... Yeah. it's it's Palestinians, internationals from all around the world. Met people from many many countries, varying ages. Uh, it was started by three people. One was a Palestinian. The other was an American Jew and another Palestinian. But uh, we helped with school runs in areas where the Israelis will attack the children. Down in Hebron, Al-Khalil, as I say, we've all been there. The children need to go along a street and up, up a wee set of stairs to get to their school. And every morning, the Israeli settlers are sitting there with a big pile of bricks. And I mean bricks, not stones, bricks to throw at the young Palestinian children walking by. Uh, as I, ISMers will try and protect the children and shield them from the bricks. So we help with school runs, with ambulances where we need to go, checkpoints. Whatever the Israeli occupation are carrying out atrocities, you'll find ISMers. Israel's got quite a habit of carrying out atrocities. They do what's a closed military zone, they call it which means that people are not allowed to get in. ISMers will do everything in their power to get in. Uh, even going up to Annapolis at times, we've had to climb over mount- mountains to get into Annapolis. Uh, you've got Israeli snipers here as well. But uh, I think they're a very, very effective group. And I think for the Palestinians as well, I think it kind of gives them hope. There's people out there who do care about them. And I think that's really, real, really important. They don't feel isolated. In Sheikh Jarrah, I think John Hilly could say a few words about that. The two John slept there. If you wouldn't mind saying a few words about that, John, about what you've done at Sheikh Jarrah. Aye, Sheikh Jarrah is in East Jerusalem. You know, you'll be familiar with it, no doubt, on the news um, and how they've gone in there to try to punch that small community of, of Palestinians. This was this was houses basically that were gifted essentially to, by the Jordanian government post forty to house Palestinians and um, bit by bit, you know, the kind of Zionist forces have agitated to, to get them. Uh, removed, you know, it's a horrendous situation that's been going on for years and they've used all sorts of dirty tricks, you know, through the court system and what have you, you know, to try to present themselves as, you know, the, the, the legitimate tenem- tenants, essentially. So this has been going on for years and as I say, when we were there, you know, there was a number of um, international people there, ourselves included, that tried to, you know, do a bit to, to, to prevent them coming in. Um, it, was, it was quite an experience. But, you know, as Margaret's saying, this is part and parcel of, um, you know, a, a real attempt by international people to go there and observe and witness and support, you know, and show solidarity. And consequently, as you can imagine, um, what's happened is um, increasingly, you know, there's really four Forces that have been coming in to purge these groups. So you've got the border police coming in notoriously, you know, just them, um, they're taking out anybody, they're denying visas, they're even attacking NGOs, they're attacking students, they're taking out anybody that they possibly can. And of course, Margaret herself went there uh, recently, um, quite recently, and was detained at the airport. Um, <laughs> this is supposedly, you know, the 
the only democracy in the Middle East, you know, um, that's detaining people. So they detained her at the airport, essentially, and locked her up for the best part of a week and um, essentially said, we know who you are, you know, you represent a group, a pro-Palestine group, and um, they handcuffed her took her back to the airport, uh, gave her a passport and said, you're not getting back in. So this gives you some indication, you know, just like the, the purge that's going on and the level of awareness that they've got now to be purging and taking out and, and stopping uh, pro-Palestinian voices in whatever way they can. So it's, it's quite a paradox in a way because you see the kind of ruthless brutality that they meet out on a daily basis, shooting and killing people. And a lot of that's getting filtered through, more so obviously on social media. But it's almost as if they, at the same time they're aware of you know, how brutal they're coming across. But at the same time, they want to sort of keep running this um, propaganda campaign, Hasbara they call it, um, to try to project this kind of better image of themselves as a way but thankfully, again, you know, against that, you've got a whole range of great kind of international movements now, uh, boycott, divestment, sanctions, BDS. Israel's terrified about this now. You know, they, they, they see the threat. You know, you've got artists for Palestine. You know, you've got various cultural groups, academic groups that are raising their voice um, against this onslaught, you know, from the, the Zionist and the pro-Israel lobby which obviously is very, very strong, particularly um, in America. But nonetheless, you know, over the course of the last 10, 15 years, you know, and we see it, talking to people, and we see the kind of change in comprehension from the public, you know, much of the public at the stall, you know, uh, how much the, of the truth is actually getting through, um, despite the, the, the control, controlled narrative of the, the mainstream media, the BBC and what have you. So, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's an ongoing, you know, battle on many, many fronts. So... We're part of a we're a street campaign essentially, and um, we try to just project, you know, what we can to to the public. Um, we raise money, and you know, we, we help um, in the refugee camps. But we we try to sort of like help explain to people on the street, on a street level, you know, and um, what the issues actually are. So as I say, it's, it's a multifaceted kind of campaign that's going on. Yeah, great insight there. It's absolutely frightening to think about the fact that you just have to go over there and even protect school children from just going to school, going to to their, their classes and learning. The fact that these Zionists are fundamentally trying to kill and seriously injure these children based purely because they, they identify as Palestinian, they're either Muslim. So it's absolutely frightening to think about that that's the, the lengths that, that you guys' work has to go to. As well as that, when we look at movements and campaigns and organisations such as yourself, you know, we see it from the, the opposition. They, they often tend to slander you. And the key word is always anti-Semitic, making this solidified position that if you're against Israeli state murder, you are automatically hate Jewish people, which is fundamentally wrong. And as you guys have clearly stated, there's Jewish people within the Palestine solidarity movement. It doesn't have a religious basis. You know, we've seen religion being used as a weapon for wars and issues such as this before. We've seen it close to home in Ireland, where it was the same issue brought together. And now it's even even more funneled through within Palestine than now. So it's always great to see that there are Jewish people as well to say that, no, this is this has nothing to do with, you know, the basis, basis of religion. Those who are occupying Palestine or brutalizing against the Palestinians and, and murdering anyone who supports them. You know, they're doing this in a purely genocide basis. 
you know, and it's 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 terrifying to see. But with the work that you guys do, it's like you said, you are growing, you are continuing to grow, and you've made a good point of getting that street message out there, starting in the streets and starting that conversation because many people who fall to this idea that you know if they support Palestine then they're anti-Semitic, well, you're you're there to go. Nope, you don't need to feel guilt, you don't need to uh, feel bad. You're not in the wrong for supporting Palestine and wanting an end to an apartheid state so it's fantastic to see the work you guys do and you also briefly touched upon their sort of your experiences in terms of the israeli state you know user user faced you know oppression and quite frankly you've been brutalized by the state of israel for the the very work you're trying to do are you able to expand on that some more as well you're talking about the violence that we've witnessed is that what you're talking about yeah the violence that you've witnessed as well or some of the direct stuff to you also We've all experienced the violence. We've all been to the demonstrations at Berlin where there's been rubber bullets flying by us, tear gas canisters. We've all been we've all been tear gas. Margaret got hit with a tear gas canister in the stomach, you know. I'm deaf in the one ear with sound bombs. Johnny got tear cast. In fact, we've got some really cracking pictures of Johnny holding them up after it and pictures holding his eyes and stuff like that. Um, that's every day over there, you know. So Palestinians, they, they, they get the real stuff. They get the, the live rounds and fire their little rubber bullets. Well, the ball bearings coated in rubber at close range, which kill. Margaret's friend was killed over there by a tear gas cannon again. Perfect. I'm in the chest at close range. It was right in the stomach. It was uh, sorry, stomach. Basim, so, yeah. he, we always Lovely guy. Him. He came from Belém, a small village. They've lost 70% of their land to Israeli settlers. Every Friday, they go out and demonstrate as ISMers. We go to the front to try and hopefully Shield the, the Israeli forces yeah. will use rubber bullets as opposed to live ammunition. So Basim is just walking behind us. He's six foot odd. It's a really big, big chap. And there was the rubber bullets as usual, tear gas, and all of a sudden Basim collapsed. Can you imagine a red hot tear gas, red hot tear gas canister deliberately shot in the stomach at close range? And international law tear gas must be fired up into the air and come down. They actually targeted him and shot it right into his stomach. Sadly, it's not the only atrocities we've seen. I was in Balata refugee camp. Uh, I was walking along with Henrik, a Swedish doctor, another ISMer. Just walking along with this young Palestinian boy, him and Henrik were having a laugh, just talking about things in general. Israeli jeep stormed through the camp, which he did every day without fail, constantly. Next thing, the door opened and they shot this young man dead. He was 14-year-old. He just opened the door and fired three shots into his body. Uh, Henry collapsed on the ground. He was a doctor. He said he was dead. There was nothing he could do. Maybe a year later when I went, it was a 10-year-old child who was standing in the doorway. Uh, Israeli jeep, as usual. You know, it's no big deal to them. They're used to that. They don't even hide now. Sport to, to them. be honest, you know. Yeah. It is sport to them. Yeah. It's, it's, a kind of, it's kind of the, the daily brutality. It's just, yeah. just the scale, you know. And... Um, I mean, like when we were there, like, you know, you would come through the checkpoints, you know, and you just see the humiliation of people, you know, lined up there, you know, behind these cages. Absolutely barbaric. And um, I remember one day there, you know, people were like suffocating with the heat and like these guards were just sitting there with this, you know, dismissive kind of attitude, you know, they just couldn't care less. And then you would see ambulances rolling up with babies, you know, and incubators, you know, held up, questioned, you know, 
the amount of the amount of women that have miscarried, you know, at checkpoints, you know, they won't permit them through. They hold them up. These basic humiliations, you know, the endangerment of life, firstly and foremost, but you know, the, the, the daily humiliation of people is intended just to kind of a dispirit and, um, and break and dehumanise Palestinians. It's an attempt to just say, you know, we can do this. We can shoot your kids. We can murder your children. We can detain them. We can come in at your house at four o'clock in the morning, kick in the door and take your, your father, your brother away. We can intimidate. I mean, some of the pictures in the past few days of this flag day with these um, the Zionist nationalists parading through Jerusalem, at will, you know, police basically standing, watching, you know, beating up Palestinians, spitting in people, you know, intimidating, racist chants, you know, celebrating the murder of um, Shireen Abu Akla, the, the murder journalist. It's just like, you know, the, it's almost, um, it's in your face. We can do what we want, basically, you know. This is like a rogue state, completely out of control, um, where there would be international communities saying, saying and doing absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put in, in words, really, sort of the, the stuff you guys have witnessed. I mean, those are only a few examples, but like you said, this is happening every single day within Palestine. It's the same grief, it's the same atrocities being committed day in, day out. So, you know, it's 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 just frightening to put into words. You know, we see the, la- the lack of action from the international community. When we look at today's current conflicts with the Russia-Ukraine, we're seeing a, a complete and total contrast towards the attitudes of this. You know, me and John, before the podcast started, whether we chat about the football and if it was a Scotland versus Israel game, you know, you'd be stopped by plainclothes police if you were carrying a, a Palestine flag, it would be removed from you. They might even take your ticket away. But lo and behold now, you know, it's Ukraine flags everywhere, you know, just goes to show you whatever's in the best interest of the state. You know, they're happy to mix politics with football now because it, it suits their best interest and it's, you know, they need the, the support for that. But uh, like you said, sort of about the checkpoints and the daily activities for the passing to have to go through them, you know, it's... Uh, I've, I've talked with you, Margaret, a few times about this uh, at the stall in Glasgow. And, you know, like you say, it's the lazy attitude of the guards that they don't care. They know that they, they don't owe anything to the Palestinians. They don't feel that they, they owe them the, the time of day. They'd be more than happy to, to just shoot them there, there and then if they could get away with it. And who knows, they probably could get away with it. They've been getting away with it for so long. So it's really frightening when you see that happening in Palestine as well. And you guys have ex- experienced sort of the, the state harassment, if you will, you know, both in here and in Scotland when you've been at the stall as well as airports when you're trying to travel over to Palestine. So are you able to sort of elaborate on, you know, your experience with the Israeli state and how they've personally surveyed you? You're the best one for that, Margaret. See, when I landed at the airport, I was immediately taken away. I was handcuffed. I was taken before the Israeli Minister of Interior. He called me for all words. I was a terrorist and all the rest of it. And I said, I've done nothing. You know, there's only one. You should look in the mirror. You'll see him. I think that upset him, but it's true. But uh, he had a photograph of me on the stall and he said he knew who who the men were. And so they've got a lifetime ban as well. I've got a lifetime ban. He said, my my friends up the road from you have gave me your picture. And it clearly was. It was me in a T-shirt in our campaign in the stall. And uh, put me in jail for five days. Told them I was vegetarian. They said, you know, people like me don't tell them what to eat. 
So I survived Nanapo a day, actually. I don't know how I've done it, but I did. But uh, they put me in with another eight people. Six of them were Israeli supporters. They were in for various things, like stealing things. I don't know what else. And he said to them, you know, do what you like. You know, she's a Palestinian supporter. So, but, but to be honest, it's just, it's disgusting. You know, the, the, the way it is, the way they treat people, they treat you like animals, absolute animals. When I was put in a holding pen, uh, just before they took me to jail, there was a German Jewish man and they put him in the same van as me to take me to the jail. So it was the two of us and he was in tears. He was, in, he was sobbing his heart out. He couldn't understand it. And I said, what happened? You should be able to get in, no problem. He said, all I'd done was ask them why they treated the Palestinians the way they did. Uh, he was a communist, actually, and he told them that. So he was jailed, he was deported the next day. They held on to me a wee bit. But, you know, they're, they're absolutely vile. They're just, you know, you're treated as if you're a Palestinian, to be honest with you. That's how they look at internationals who support them. I'm sorry, it just it really makes me so angry. It really does, Nathan. See, you see what we've seen and done and... Do you know, I mean, I remember I get hospitalised. It was tear gas canisters. I was with Becca. She's an American Jewish girl. We're close friends. She worked with ISM. And we were at a demonstration. And Becca and I were away out at the side. They were firing a lot of tear gas. I'm asthmatic. And one of the soldiers fired a tear gas can. And my asthma started. And she was shouting, you know, stop, stop. My friend's asthmatic. You're going to kill her. Right. So, of course, what did they do? They all started firing tear gas. So a Palestinian farmer gave me a van, stuck me in a van, took me to the hospital. I got out. But then when I went through the checkpoint, one of the soldiers recognised me and he was trying to get me into the van. So I don't know. The brutality, John, you've seen it. John's better at this than me, to be honest. One of the, one of the really kind of key things here is that, um, I mean, central to this, we can see what the state is doing, we can see what the regime is doing, and the media can see what it's doing they don't report it. And this is a major issue. We have people coming up to us at the stall, particularly when the major assaults in Gaza are going on, and say, how are they getting away with this? How on earth can... Why don't people know about this? Why aren't the BBC reporting it? And this is a key issue. This stuff's going on daily, you know, in West Bank, Gaza, inside Jerusalem, what have you, and it's not being reported. I recall when we were there, this coming back to Sheikh Jarrah, Shortly after um, they, we were there, they came in and they, they took this family out. They removed them, essentially. They evicted them from their house. These settlers came in and took it over. It was an absolute outrage. And they had, you had the usual kind of a, like US, EU people, you know, had delegates there sort of voicing their concern. Nothing was done, of course. But disgracefully, um, you've got um, BBC correspondents based in Jerusalem which has been all over that story and stories like it. As I say, this stuff's happening every single day. And it wasn't until we got news that the Mr. Old Mr. Al Kurd had taken a heart attack and died after it, that the BBC subsequently went and did a token report on it. So every now and then you will get this attempt, you know, by the BBC to show as if it's covering it. But it's not. I mean, it's, it's disgraceful. And um, as I say... If people really knew a fraction of the stuff that's going on, coming back to what you're saying, you know, the contrast with Ukraine, <laughs> people would have a very, very different understanding and view of, you know, what the issue is about and, uh, and how to deal with it. Um, it, it, it was really quite shocking. 
Do you know the funny thing is when that happened, John Tony Blair was staying less than five minutes up yeah. the road. Yeah. You remember that, John, in the American yeah. Colony the Middle East Hotel? Peace Envoy. Yeah. The Middle East Peace Envoy. So we might we managed to get through to his room actually and we invited him to come down by by phone. You know, we couldn't get in, obviously. But you know, he did know about it, he knew the family were being evicted. He decided not to come, and the next day he went to Tel Aviv to be his Middle, Middle East peace guy. So they're not interested. There's no way. And you, you have to understand the basic background context of that, you know, in terms of like the US. The US gives um, Israel $4.8 billion every year. It basically polices that region, you know, on behalf of the US. Um, so there's a, whole, there's a whole tie in there. And obviously Britain's part and parcel of that. The whole, the military, the, the arms industry. Israel is actually a test, Israel is an arms manufacturer, basically. Um, it tests white phosphorus and other, you know, ugly armaments on, on Gaza. So it, it, part of its whole kind of like economy is, is tied into this, this military infrastructure, even to the extent that universities are involved. So you've, this whole, <laughs> you have to understand the whole sort of context of, of why, you know, state, British, um, state affiliated uh, TV, like the BBC, don't properly cover these things. You know, there's, a, there's a, an understanding understandable kind of hush don't go there don't sort of like don't look at this the, the story don't cover this too too critically um because essentially israel is a client state you know of the us and the uk by proxy so you have this whole geopolitics it's, it's disgraceful and uh, coming back to ukraine again you know if this was a situation akin to ukraine it would be all over the media and people would understand the politics of it but it's just never explained do you know, it's even uh, thinking about it when I was in jail. The two Johns had gone to everybody, they knew Sandra White, etc. And the British consulate phoned me up, actually, and they let me speak to them. And they said to me, you know, just do what they tell you. There's nothing we can do. Just do what they tell you. And that was it. So they do what they like, and the British consulate know it, but they don't care. They say there's nothing they can do. There's no point in them being there. I mean, the UN, the Palestinians call them unwanted nobodies because I've been there many a time when atrocities have been carried out and the UN come up in their wee cars and their wee white shirts on and all they do is sit in the car and watch. Then they leave. Halfway through, they don't even step out the cars, don't use their phones, don't write anything down. They witness for a wee minute, then they disappear. Yep, so that's what they're called, unwanted nobodies who do nothing. Yeah, uh, a lot of points that us are really dissect. Just coming off the back of what you said, John, you know, we, we can clearly see that the state of Israel is indeed a playground for imperialist capital. You know, it's a chance for them to test their weapons, to test the efficiency of them and whatnot, and that comes at the expense of the Palestinian people. As well as that, you know, when we relate that to the media, and the reason we don't see it here uh, very regularly in Britain is because we're complicit in it, our, our government's complicit in it, it's how it makes its money. Uh, you know, if we if we were to see the, the daily war crimes and human rights violations on a day-to-day -day basis, like we're seeing with uh, Ukraine and Russia, then now, you know, public opinion would sway very, very heavily. But the fact is that the capitalists own the media and therefore we're never going to see what makes them look bad. Sure, that, just, uh, one more point on that, is, uh, Nathan, it's um, a very good kind of illustration of that just now is... Um, International Criminal Court, the ICC, have um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pending, there's a, an up and running um, preliminary in investigation into Israel's crimes, essentially, and um, it's been resisted, as you can imagine, by the US in particular. <laughs> but it was quite interesting to note how quickly the ICC came in 
you know, and, and instigated investigations into uh, issues in Ukraine, culminating in a very, very quick trial, you know. In the case of Palestinians, this has still been going on for decades and held back and held back, nothing done. So it gives a good illustration of just like even the, the, the kind of would-be liberal end of the, you know, the international community, how quickly they, they, they act and when it comes to issues that are, you know, favourable to, to that, that part of the establishment, you know, as opposed to, as, as opposed to Palestinians. This stuff's been going on for, for years and decades. Yeah, especially looking at the liberal point of view. I mean, they, they think their sole mode of justice is banning Russia from the Eurovisions because of what it's done. But meanwhile, Israel's still in there. So you've got to, you've got to kind of laugh at that. I mean, it just it goes to show how seriously they, they take the, the issue of human rights within Palestine. And just going back to your point as well, Margaret, on sort of the, the state surveillance, if you will, and the, the continued harassment against uh, yourselves. You know, uh, I've been down at the, the Communist Party stall in Buchanan Street, uh, just opposite of you. I've, I've seen the harassment that you guys endure almost every weekend you know i've seen news having your your photos taken quite sneakily as well as photos of myself and others at the communist party stall purely because we we associate with you and support your message and standing in, in solidarity with the palestinians and therefore to the israeli state you know we're guilty by association and that's all it takes and your point there of whilst you were being held basically illegally you weren't treated in the eyes of the israelis in an, an animal you were treated as a Palestinian, and that's somehow less to them, which is absolutely sickening and, and, and disgusting to think about. And, you know, it just goes to show that, that this treatment doesn't just occur to the Palestinians, it, it occurs to anyone who, who chooses to support them, stand with them, or even just be there by their side, which brings us on to sort of the Israeli oppression and the documentation of it. You know, we've seen uh, people such as Rachel Corey and that who've, who've been murdered, flat out murdered by the Israeli state for the work what did it do? Uh, for me personally, the, the Tom Hurdle, Hurdle case, sorry, was, you know, it really hit close to home with me when I, when I looked into the work that he'd done. You know, he was, he was for peace, you know, and the Israeli state didn't want peace. They, they want total control and domination over Palestine. So it's just to see if uh, any of you guys can sort of elaborate on, you know, the likes of Tom Hurdle and Rachel Corey and the various others and the countless others, really, who've, who've been murdered by the Israeli state for purely supporting them. Well, you probably know a bit about Tom Hundo. He, uh, he he was a photographer who was over. He was in uh, was it Rafa? I can't remember now. Scouse, you know, was, yes. And um, Israelis, for fun as usual, had snipers. Well, they had them up in uh, these pillboxes. They've got, but there were snipers, and there were Palestinian kids playing in this bit of dark right, and they were firing at them. You know, and the kids were screaming and screaming. So Tom Hundo seen this. So he went over, grabbed one of the kids, went back, took him back, went again, got another one, went a third time to get one, and a sniper shot him. He shot him in the head, and he virtually near enough died instantly. Actually, there was a Glasgow girl there, a girl called Alice Coy, who um, Jewish girl again. She was there with Tom and... Uh, and Rachel. And she was there with both of them. But who was who? James Porter was with them as well. And she held his brains in. There's video of it, you see her, you know, you know, try to, try to kind of save his life and uh, took him to hospitals. There's nothing, nothing they could do. Rachel Corey was the same. She, she stood in front of the bulldozer outside the doctor's house. The guy just rolled over the top of her. Didn't, and again, Alice was there. She's seen both of these. They happened within three weeks, I think it was, you know. And it kind of, I think it mentally scarred them, didn't it, after oh, that, as it would do to, to, to most folk, you know. Um, I mean, just so sad, you know, especially um, both mean, of them were. The Palestinians peaceful. say that the Israeli snipers, they've got a game going. 
And I think it's true, to be honest with you. They get so many points if they hit an eye. Thousands of Palestinians have been blinded. They get so many points for hitting an eye, hitting somewhere else, hitting somewhere else. So there's a point system they get. And there's actually videos of them high-fiving each other when they do this. Also, T-shirts some of them wear, you know, in Palestine as well. I'm talking about the Israeli forces uh, and some people supporting them. Pregnant women, what is it? Two kills for the one bullet. Two kills for the one bullet. You know, and that that kind of sums it up. It's just, you know, and again, I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting back to something else. John Hilly was talking about the apartheid system. Uh, One of the things we do as a campaign is we can fund a day out for some of the children in the camps. We'll hire a bus, you know, get them up to wee, what they call a theme park in Ramallah, not like ours, but they call it a theme park in a swimming pool. Now, the point I'm making there is, right, if I wanted to go in these Israeli roads, which I never, ever would do, ever, I could get from Bethlehem to Ramallah in about 25, 30 minutes. When I was on the bus with the Palestinian children from Ida camp, which we paid for, took us three and a half hours to get there and three and a half hours to get back. Dirt tracks, not even roads. I mean, as John Hilly said, the apartheid system is horrendous. Also, if you've got family in Jerusalem, Al-Quds, I know quite a few in Ramallah and Nablus who do have family in Jerusalem, they're not allowed to visit them. They'll never see them again unless they take Israeli citizenship. So that's the kind of control that Israel tries to put over Palestinians. And as for this nonsense that some people say, oh, if they take Israeli citizenship, they're treated, you know, like Israelis. No, they're not. They're lucky to get 50% of their wage. They are treated like dirt. And from what I've been led to believe, and John can come in and correct me if I'm wrong, the Ethiopian Jews that Israel has been welcoming, uh, they've all been moved to the illegal settlements in the West Bank. Is that correct, John? That's what I've heard. Well, what a lot of people don't really understand about this situation is that there's no essential um, system of normal nationality in Israel. That's to say, like, in this country, you would consider, irrespective of what your background is, you know, your status, your religion or whatever, you know, you would be a UK citizen or a Scottish citizen for that matter, you know, if you want to term it that way. But um, in Israel, it's not like that. Um, so you, you, there's, there, there's no... Jonathan Cook's brilliant on this. I advise anybody, you know, to... If you're going to follow any, anybody um, on all these issues, Electronic Intifada and Ali Abanima and Jonathan Cook, you know, who's absolutely brilliant, written numerous books and uh, uh, on-the-spot articles, uh, really great. And it kind of talks about this in particular. This idea about nationality, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't prevail in Israel the way it does anywhere else. So basically, um, only Jews have a, a right to come to, to Israel and are accorded all the basic benefits of, of the state. Um, if, you're an Israel, if you're a Palestinian, you're a citizen, but you're not a national. And the Israeli state has been very, very careful right since its inception not to go down this road of, of creating what would be understood as an Israeli national as such. So you're either, either a Jewish national or you're an Arab national, or an Arab citizen more particularly. So it's a very, very um, structured way of differentiating how people are treated. And that's, that is deep rooted into how the apartheid system is set up. And then groups like Adala, a human rights group, and obviously more particularly recently, the Amnesty Report, which took four years um, to bring about, 
um, they took their time, but it's good to see that they're doing it. Um, it's actually gone back and looks very, very deeply into this. The basic structures of, of apartheid. And there's something like between 70 and 90 different uh, kind of articles and ways in which the law discriminates against Palestinians. They're very, very careful, you know, um, unlike South Africa when it was, you know, so brazen. You have to kind of present this, this image to the world that Palestinians can participate in in the society, they can't, they can't own houses, they can't build on land. Um, they have this nominal presence in, in the, the Israeli um, parliament, which, which is for sure, basically. But in actual, every kind of practical sense, Palestinians are discriminated within the entirety of the whole system. People just kind of don't understand that there's basics, you know, of how um, it's, it's, they've, got, they've got it sewn up, basically. Um, they're, they're, they don't permit Palestinians to come. Pal Palestinians have got a right of return. And until that issue is resolved as part of any settlement, um, there can never be any kind of peace and justice. Yeah, uh, quite rightly put. I mean, you know, we, we've seen time and time again in social media, even with those Palestinians who do take the Israeli citizenship and live within that part of occupied Palestine, you know, they're still subjugated to brutalization. It, it almost replicates, you know, the, the Jim Crow laws in America in years gone by, you know, that at certain times, at certain days, only those set people aren't allowed to eat with the Israelis. They're not allowed to use the same facilities. That false argument of, you know, take the citizenship, you'll be fine. It's not true at all. They still continue their, their brutal genocide campaign against the Palestinian people. So, yeah, it's uh, again, it's just something that's really hard to put into words. It's almost unbelievable when we look at how the international community is supposed to act to it, how the UN is supposed to act to it, how the EU should be acting to it. They claim to be champions of human rights. They want to place democracy in the Middle East, but Israel is not a democracy. It's only suited to uh, the interests of the state and and those who align with it, which I guess brings us to our, our final question as well, sort of looking at what is the solution to all this? It's a very hot topic, you know, especially uh, on the left between the, the one state and the two state solution. So just to get your guys of ideas, what you think the solution is uh, within Palestine and sort of how do, we, how do we champion that with the current failures of the international movement? I suppose the first thing to say about this is the thing that we always reiterate at the stall, um, First and foremost, it's up to the Palestinians to decide. And that might seem a very kind of moot and basic point, but it's, you know, this, this often gets forgotten, you know, and this would be sort of a like false um, notion of a peace process. America's going to act as this, this arbiter, this, um, this kind of arbiter to, to, to supposedly bring about a peace. There, is, there, there won't be a two-state solution, in my view. That's, that's abundantly clear. It's abundantly clear to any serious observer of this situation. John will recall us when we were over there, you know, and a guy, he, he made a brilliant illustration. He just kind of stood there and he nudged us like this. Yeah, let's talk peace. Push another bit. Push another bit. Let's talk peace. Yep. Well, we're taking more settlements. Well, we're taking more land. And it was, it was a great illustration. And that's what they do. And that's... That's what the whole process is about. That's why these other so-called, you know, um, peace stalls <laughs> um, are there to, to promote this, this fiction, this lie, you know, that there is a peace process. There is no uh, peace process. Zionism, by its very core, by its very nature, is expansionist. It's settler colonialism, and it will stop at nothing. This idea that they're going to disband the settlements, we've been... It's, we get taken on a tour around Jerusalem to this place, Maladumin, right? And you've got this idea of a settlement, you know, it's kind of 
rustic sticks and huts and stuff like that. This place is a full-on city with every luxurious amenity. And it was a real eye-opener even for me, you know, and for us to see that, you know. And I recall standing there that day and you know, some of our tour guides were saying, yeah, but we can't move this. We can't really, we can't really move this, you know. And we, we, we say, why not? Why not? You know, what right, do, what right do these people to come in and take people's land? And what right have you got to say that this is going to be there in perpetuity? So this is the kind of mindset, this, this idea that, yes, let's, you know, continually talk about a two-state solution, you know, and raise all this, keep all this kind of animus going about um, people being anti-Semitic if they dare say anything about it, this old chestnut. Yeah. You can see what they're doing, you know. People have got to read, you read Alu Abinima in one country, and he makes a, the essential point, the only resolution, I wouldn't go as far as say a solution because there's, there's a history of war and what have you that will, will probably always go on, but any potential resolution will only come through one democratic, free and fair state where people have equal rights. We stand in a stall, we always make this point to people, we can walk up and down the street, you know, and we can go from A to B. A Palestinian wants to go sort of a, like, you know, a couple of miles down the road, it's a massive detour of checkpoints and harassment and intimidation. People can't live like that. Some Palestinians have never seen the sea. Some kids have never seen the sea. People in Gaza are locked up. That, that can never be resolved with this notion of a two-state solution. But they're, they're fiercely resistant to it. And people on the left, even a lot of people on the left, <laughs> understandably say, yeah, but the reality, you know, could that ever seriously be? Well, I just kind of say, well, look what happened. Look at history. You know, look at how history changes almost overnight. Look at how South Africa, apartheid fell almost overnight. This idea that can never be done is, is a fiction. And um, it's becoming clearer and clearer as the years go by. And particularly in America, I think, where a lot of young, younger generation, uh, they don't have the same connection to Israel that their, their, their uh, forefathers or their previous generation did. Understand that, um, yeah, this is coming. Because there could be no resolution, there could be no peace, there can never be justice under this. This is an unsustainable system of murder and oppression. And even within Israel itself, the, the contradictions of it are becoming increasingly clear. A lot of people, are, even there, are living in poverty. So it will become clearer as the geopolitics change, even from you know America and the UK for that matter, that this, this is unsustainable. The, the, the danger, of course, is you, you have a zealot component you know, in Israel. But nonetheless, the Palestinians will never give up. It's their right, you know, it's their right to the land. They have the keys to their house. They have UN resolutions. They have the law on their side. The settlements are illegal. The, the, the wall is illegal, was judged illegal in 2004, International Court of Justice. The, the, the siege of Gaza is illegal. Everything. So we have, you know, the Palestinians have got, have got legality on the right, on their side, and they've got, they've got morals on their side. So they're right in every sense. So it will prevail, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. It's time and time again we've seen the, the solidified spirit of the Palestinian people. You know, they've, they've never once backed down uh, in the face of Israeli aggression. So it's absolutely brilliant to see that continuing to this day. And that growth continuing as well through the international movement where more and more people standing in solidified solidarity uh, with the Palestinians as well. So yeah, guys, that's, that sort of concludes uh, today's episode. It's been brilliant. So I just want to see if you've got any final talking points or uh, where can we find you on social media? Where can we find the ISM? Uh, if you look on social media, 
uh, International Solidarity Movement. Uh, yeah, Maybe if you look Scottish up Point. International Solidarity Movement Scotland, uh, so on Facebook, you'll find us there. You know, if anyone's interested, message. It's me that will get it and I'll reply to them. You know, if they, if they want to visit Palestine, do you know, it's a good way to go. I mean, there's no hierarchy. Everybody's equal. So, good group to go with. As Margaret said, you've got ISM Scotland. You can contact us there. You've got the GPHRC website. Um, it be GPHRC um, Facebook page. Oh, so we do. Yeah. John, anything you can think of? Because John and I are just... <laughs> No, but just to say, it's, it's a pleasure to work with these guys and see them on Saturday and, do this oh, and, and talk to them. And it's great. And, and also, Nathan, it's, it's a pleasure to have um, you guys. Uh, yes. oh, from, I agree. Are still supporting us and us hopefully supporting you. Um, yeah. So I, it's, it's, it's a people street still, you know, so hopefully we can, you know, use that space to get good um, messages across. Grassroots for us works. Yep. Definitely that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really important to get that unified solidarity between, you know, even ourselves as a member yeah. of the, the Young Communist League and, and you guys and the work that you do. It's, it's really important to get that broader uh, strength of unity. So it's been really great to have you here today, guys. An absolute pleasure as always. And I'm sure I'll probably see you next Saturday. Yeah, uh, it's still if, you to, if you want to delete John and I, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> I've not got a problem with that, Nathan. <laughs> Oh, you've been brilliant. Thanks very much again. And I'll see you next time. See you later. See you later. Johnny. Thank you very much again, comrades, for tuning in to the latest episode of Spectre. In the description below, I'll leave the links to the ISM, as well as Palestine Action, who you might have seen across social media and the various direct actions against the likes of Elbert Systems. Again, be sure to leave us some feedback. A share on the podcast goes a long way. Be sure to give us a rating across Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other platforms we post on. Even in the face of Israeli aggression, we know one thing is certain. It's that from the river into the sea, Palestine will be free. Take care. You can never talk my fire in a booth. I don't need a label, I'm saying to the truth. If you're relying hard with the mind of a moose, your circle can hurt you as tight as a noose. Bars, artillery, harsher than killer bees. I'm a marksman with beats, carving them into me. Palm in knees, laugh at them in the street. Wanna spar the elite? Hard for you to compete, not a marketing dream. Hearts in the Middle East, starving to eat. Margot beyond belief, where they martyr the meat. Marching them into me with the arms of the beast, harvest them with the teeth. If you're unhappy when you come at me, never miss. Make you run, scatty dumb, scallywags are getting dissed. Trump rally with a gun carried in your fist. That's a punk patty and a chump chatty terrorist intellect